We are live. Awesome, dude. All right. So I uh, got my good friend Vance Pittman here with me. We're going to just kind of give it a moment, let some people kind of see that this is live and log on. So Vance, what are you up to Friday morning so far? Man, Friday is kind of my down day. It's uh, a, a life rhythm that I built in several years ago. And so Fridays are literally, I don't do anything except with friends and family. So uh, I am really chilled out today, not doing very much and just waiting for uh, to see what the day brings. Nice, man. Well, golf courses are back open today. You chose to do this with me instead of hit a golf course. Today. Uh, listen, I saw that last night and I thought, man, that would be sweet, but I bet it's going to be covered up today. I heard uh, uh, John Sanders, a mutual friend of ours, uh, played out at Prim Valley for his birthday, California. So they've been open, but I went on trying to get a tee time there. And they were booked out to May 12th a couple of days ago because it's the only course anybody could get to. Wow. Yeah, this is the time you almost have to know somebody to get on yeah. one of these courses. Right. Um, All right. Well, hey, man, let's uh, let's kind of kick this off here. I gave it a minute for people to kind of to tune in here. Um, so just kind of give an overall uh, explanation of what we're doing here. Many of you guys have seen the, the video series and podcasts that uh, we put out called Real Life at Level 10, uh, where I discuss insights of real estate leadership and personal growth. But in light of what's going on right now with COVID-19, we really felt it appropriate to kind of hit pause on that content for a moment and really just talk through what we're walking through together. Everybody's you know navigating the, this season of life, uh, unprecedented times right now. Uh, but what I thought would be really valuable is we talk about living life at a level 10, uh, and living with the results, whatever it is you're doing or walking through or wherever you're leading. And I thought, hey, let's get some level 10 people in my life and my circle of influence uh, to just speak to that. And whether it's a level 10 father or business leader or pastor or whatever that role is. Um, and that's what we're doing, having some guests on the show, and just having some level 10 conversations. So super honored to have my my really good friend uh, and mentor, pastor, uh, Vance Pittman here. So Vance, thanks for being here, man. Man, I'm really honored to do it, man. Looking forward to hanging out with you for a little bit. Awesome, man. Well, uh, Vance and I, a lot of people in my circle know Vance. Uh, either you might go to church with us or just because you live in Las Vegas, a lot of folks you know know who Vance is. Uh, but I'm super excited to share you with my friends across the country. I have a, a pretty big network. Uh, I've been fortunate to build of some extraordinary agents across the country through a coaching program I'm in. So just excited to, to share you with them. And man, we got a lot in common. We're, uh, uh, you married me 16 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Well, you may want to say that a different way, but uh, I performed your wedding 16 years ago. <laughs> you did. I'm, sure, I'm sure my wife is watching right now, too. So thank you for the correction that you did. My dad uh, celebration life service, which was super special to me and always will be to me and my family. Uh, we're both huge Golden Knight fans. We're both huge yes, Oklahoma sir. Sooner fans and Atlanta mm. Brave fans. So we got a the lot Oklahoma of Sooner part is where we break apart. But I'm with you with the Braves and the uh, Golden Knights. I was hoping I could slide that in. I guess not. Um, so just to kind of brief introduction, Vance, there's a book, John Maxwell wrote a book called uh, The Five Levels of Leadership. I told you this a long time ago, um, and not to be flattering, but man, just keeping it real. When you read that book and the way that he unpacks that fourth and fifth, fifth level of leadership, it's pretty legit. And I can say with sincerity that there's probably only a couple few people I've ever known in my life that I would classify as a level five leader. And man, you're one of them. So mm. uh, just excited to have you on here to just speak to leadership and just some of the wisdom you have to share. Uh, anybody watching this, listen, hang on for this conversation. I promise you, you're going to leave with value. You will be encouraged or challenged or inspired. Something of value if you hang on here and listen to Vance for a bit. So 
So Vance, a lot of my network knows you, but real quick, just for those that don't, just who is Vance Pittman? Tell us about your family and what you do in your organization. Sure. Yeah, I was. Uh, I've been in Las Vegas now for 20 years. You can probably tell by my accent. Not originally from Vegas, but moved out here 20 years ago to be involved in uh, starting what is now known as Hope Church. So we moved out here with our family, our young children, um, and now for 20 years have been pastoring here in the valley and planting churches. Uh, Hope Churches will be 20 years old next year, uh, which is hard for me to believe, but. Um, our church is super engaged in the city, very involved in multiplying churches. Uh, we've planted uh, close to 70 churches up and down the West Coast out of our fellowship. And uh, I'm a you know father of four. Uh, three of my children are married. Uh, I have two grandchildren. My youngest is still at home. She's 16. Uh, and then I also serve with a, a national ministry called the North American Mission Board as a national mobilizer for them. And the North American Mission Board works in the entire United States and Canada and is involved in multiplying the church, disaster relief and a lot of things like that. So that's pretty much what I do. It keeps me busy. Yeah, I'd say so. Van, Vance travels all across the country. If he's not preaching, I hope he's preaching somewhere um, most weekends, uh, actually even during the week, uh, most weeks of the year. So uh, incredible communicator for those of you that haven't heard him. You need to tune in and listen to Hope Church Online. So Vance, right now, COVID-19, it's affected every business, every organization in so many ways. Uh, but I'm not sure anyone's more affected than a, a large church that the main function is gathering in big groups of people every week. Uh, and at every service at Hope on the floor, we usually have close to a thousand people on the floor. So how would you you know, speak to that? Just the challenges that we've had to work through. I say we, you really as a leader as you've had to kind of pivot on the way that we do things as an organization or church specifically, what, you know, speak to that for a moment. Yeah. Every time you get in the midst of a, a crisis or a circumstance or situation that you didn't see coming, it's really an incredible opportunity. Uh, sometimes people see them as obstacles, but they're really opportunities to what you just said, to pivot and to learn and to create new systems. And for a church, obviously this has kind of affected us in two ways. One of the, big things that most people know about church is what you just talked about, the, the gathering that happens every Sunday. And that's a big deal. I mean, we have, you know, close to 4,000 people on a Sunday and four services. Um, and that's a massive thing. And that's honestly what most people know about churches is what happens on Sunday in the gathering. Matter of fact, I've been at a restaurant before and uh, a server would find out that I'm a pastor and say, wow, what must it be like to only have to work one day a week? So for a lot of people, that's what they know is the gathering. And, and obviously, when it came to the gathering eight weeks ago, we got shut down. You know, the, the government said, hey, you shouldn't gather in groups. Started at 250, then it went to 10, then it went to you shouldn't meet outside your family. And so for eight weeks, we've had to learn new systems. We've had to build new rhythms. We've had to shift our week. Um, and it's, it's required, like you said, a huge pivot. But it's been an incredible opportunity because we've discovered an entire online community that we didn't even know we had, to be honest with you. We post sermons online every week, but that's about it. We put all of our attention on what's happening in the room on Sundays. Um, but since we've been online over the last uh, eight weeks, man, we've got, we got people viewing in from 48 states and 20 countries. The only two states we're not in yet are uh, New Hampshire and Connecticut. So if you know anybody there, we'd love to have you listen in. But uh, so it's been, been an incredible opportunity for us to engage an online community. The other way this has affected us is, although the Sunday gatherings have changed, 
our rhythm through the week has intensified because we're in a season now when people have more needs than maybe they've ever had before, whether those are physical needs, financial needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. Uh, And the church, although a lot of people, all we know about is what happens on Sunday, really a church, the bulk of what happens happens Monday through Saturday. Uh, Sunday's just a big crescendo when we all get together. And so we've been engaged in, 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 in so many ways. And it's, it's again, forces to learn new rhythms, to restructure our team, to reorganize our staff, to reassign and reallocate responsibilities, because all of that has to happen in, in moments of crisis. Right. Now you got to be fluid for sure. And uh, <laughs> it necessitates, uh, I, we'll talk about this in a minute, but the idea of quick decisions, they don't have to be perfect decisions, but you got to, you got to mm-hmm. make decisions and move. You talk about how, you know, the, there's a lot of need right now. I mean, there's there's so many opportunities to serve. And Hope has always been super involved in the community. I mean, through multiple ministries, Fostering Hope, Purchased LV, I could go on and on and on. But right now, speak to us about Hope is Here. Uh, Hope is Here is a new initiative that Hope is, has really put a ton of effort and energy into. So what is that and how can people get involved? Yeah, when it was part of the pivot that you talked about. When we first received word about what was happening in society, we knew that we needed to ramp up our ability to be ready to serve and to engage with the community in the midst of all this. And so our team came together. We launched an initiative. You, you named it called Hope is Here. You can find out all the information at hopeishere.vegas. So it's just hopeishere.vegas. Um, but we initially said we're going to target four groups of people. We kind of looked at who we were as a church. I think this is an important as an organization. Uh, when you begin to look for opportunities like this, you want to understand who you are first. And then understanding who you are, mobilized to engage based on who you are, who in our situation, who we believe God shaped us to be. And so for us, as we looked at who we were and how we were gifted and the areas we had strengths in, we identified four areas, the hungry the overworked, the elderly, and your neighbors. And we developed strategies to target those four communities. For example, the overworked are those that would be either medical professionals or people in the the industries of grocery stores or deliveries. And we mobilized our church. You can see on the website, uh, we did supply drives. We put bags together and we began to deliver to overworked people in our city Uh, gift bags, care packages, meals. We would grocery shop for them. Uh, And so you can learn all about that uh, at at the the hopeishere.vegas. But we've done things like supply drives, blood drives, uh, meals. We've grocery shopped. Um, We've we've partnered. This is an incredible opportunity to partner with other nonprofits in your city. Uh, Regardless of your organization, if you care about your community, there are many nonprofits right now that are in great need. They have more people to serve than they ever have with fewer resources than they've ever had. And so this is an opportunity for you to engage your organization through one of these existing nonprofits. If you're in Las Vegas locally on the Hope is Here page, we have a link under the Serving the Hungry to several good nonprofits here in our city that we've partnered with and that you can mobilize people in your organization to partner with. That's awesome, man. No, I love everything we're, you guys are doing. I say we're doing. I feel like we're a part of it. If you go to Pope Church or you, you know, are a part of it, anyone involved, but uh, it's amazing, man. Um, speaking to perspective right now, I, I think right now is just a season of life for everybody where we have a chance to really almost get a, a new, refined, or refreshed perspective, fresh perspective yeah. on 
everything from work-life balance to to leadership to our organizations to our families um so in light of that you know what's a new perspective on all of that that you feel like you're really learning right now or how is this season changing your perspective on on things yeah it's been in several ways matt and one of one of the things that, that hit me is kind of like you know i'm not really uh you know me i'm not a big tech guy I, I i don't i don't feel like i'm great when it comes to tech but I, my kids have taught hey, bro, me at least this much you're live on Streamyard right now man. <laughs> yeah and Streamyard, i've never heard of until you sent me the link so there you go that that tells you my ability in technology but my kids have taught me this if my laptop or my phone is not working the first thing you do is you shut it off and sometimes simply shutting it off and then turning it back on again i don't know how the magic works but it kind of fixes itself and i feel like what's happened in some ways right now is all of us in our organizational leadership and our personal lives have had to do one of those hard reboots we had to turn everything off um, and as we're beginning to turn it back on i think we're all making some of those adjustments we're all making some of those fixes. Um, for me personally, you know, I'm in one of those seasons and Matt, you've known me a long time. I, I kind of go through this. I, I, I build rhythm, I build margin, and then I figure out ways that end around it and, and squeeze around it. Um, and this slowdown phase, at least for me, what's affected me the most is not being on an airplane. You, I'm, you know, a lot of times I'm uh, 80, 90 nights a year on the road and so not having any travel right now has just caused me to realize, man, I probably was, I, I'd gotten to one of those seasons again where it was too much. I was pushing the envelope. I was, um, I'd gotten a little bit out of balance and you don't realize it when you're in the rush of it. Right. But when you have a moment to kind of stop and reflect, which is what this has been for me, it's caused me to re really evaluate that. And then I tell you what I've also noticed, and I'm sure you've seen this, man, in neighborhoods, I'm seeing people with their children, their spouse, their pets, they're walking, they're out, they're enjoying life. And I think one of the things about American culture is we are so driven to succeed. We are so driven to perform. We're taught this, you know, you got to make it on your own mentality that we just get so busy trying to achieve a life that we think we want, that we don't live the one that we have and we miss this incredible opportunity to live and i've just been watching people as they've just been living they've just been enjoying life we've met more people in our neighborhood walking the dog or out for a bike ride over the last month than we probably have in the three years we've lived in this neighborhood wow. and so those things have just been really eye-opening for me to just remind us what's important to remind us what life's really all about and to help us kind of do a hard reset and start over again. That's perfect. I love the analogy that with the reset too, that's perfect. So right now, you know, I think things are gonna be different on the back end of COVID-19 to some extent. A lot of things will get back to normal, a lot of things won't. How do you think your organization, Specific Hope Church, but really the industry of church, if you will, or large gatherings, what do you think is gonna be permanently different on the back end of COVID-19 for, for you as a leader and for your organization? Yeah, one thing that happens with all organizations, churches included, is over time, there's institutional drift. Uh, you begin to do things just because it's what you've always done. And the problem for churches is churches are individual organizations, but they're also a part of a, 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 a large collective organization. 
And so churches for centuries have done things that have been passed down. And then each individual church adds layers to that of things that you do. And in a season like this, all of that comes to a stop and you're, you, you get an opportunity to look again at why do we do what we do and is what we're doing really effective? Is it what's best? Is it giving attention to what's priority? And so we're in the process now looking at Hope Church and just evaluating things. Um, like, like, for example, one of the things that we've evaluated is we, we've really, and I said this a moment ago, we, we, we really paid, other than posting online sermons, we'd never paid any real attention to the online community that's out there. Um, and we've recognized through this process that we have a massive online community. I, I told you that we average, you know, three to 4,000 people at Hope on a given weekend. Um, but right now through our online technology, we're seeing between 10 and 20,000 people a week that are tuning in. So instead of you know, three to 4,000, there's 10 to 20,000 people. And, and we felt a calling and a stewardship of responsibility to that online community to help engage them. I mean, our mission at Hope is to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. Well, you can do that via technology. Now, there are limits to that from a theological understanding of the church, but, but we can at least give priority to this audience that God's given us and, and helping to see them connected in a way that they can become faithful followers of Christ. And so we're already mapping out plans to have a more intentional strategy for developing an online community, which lets us reach beyond the city of Las Vegas, which has always been our passion, but it also lets us uh, provide better platforms for engagement for the people of Hope Church who maybe are mobile with their jobs or who are traveling uh, with their families and gives us opportunities to deeper connect. So the online thing has been one way, but we're looking at everything in our uh, playbook, if you will, to say, okay, are we doing that because it's effective? Or are we just doing that because we've been doing it? Because there's some things that we haven't done in several weeks. And to be honest with you, they're not even missed. Right. And so just realizing that it's time to reevaluate some of those things, reallocate resources, and maybe even have to realign. And if some of our staff teams listening to this, it's going to make them nervous, but maybe even realign and, and, and reallocate responsibilities and duties based on new things that God uh, leads us to in the midst of all of this. Yeah, man, that's good. You shared a lot of gold in there that uh, people need to replay this. But yeah, look at the mission, look at the vision, look at the the. Tip. the three-year plan, the five-year plan. Does this make sense yeah. or just what we've always done? I love it. So let's get into some leadership real quick. Um, you and I talked briefly on the phone a week or two ago, and I made a comment to you that that you responded to in agreement. And it was really the idea that in times of crisis, leaders are not born. Like leaders don't just all of a sudden come out of the woodworks when you're yeah. in crisis. It's really a season where leaders are forged. And if you're a leader, you, it's really step up and prove that you're a leader. So in light of that, that I want to mention for those of you watching, Vance has a leadership podcast that is incredible. Uh, it's the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. I can't recommend strongly enough that you get in there and listen to that. I have tons of friends that listen to it that are not in ministry, that don't even attend church, but there's so much value in there. And by the way, while I have you on my show here, stop saying in your podcast um, comments related to church because it's good for everybody man like <laughs> dude, it's 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 transferable to every industry um i get a uh, value every time i listen but 
episode 28, you just released 28 recently, and that was about leading through crisis. And you, you shared some really great insight. I encourage everybody go watch episode 28, Advanced Pittman Leadership Podcast. It's a 35 minute um, podcast with a lot of nuggets in there. So I won't, you know, go down a rabbit hole with some of that content, but you shared an acrostic there um, called Simple, uh, just this kind of advice of leading through crisis. Can you just unpack that for us, real quick? Yeah, and and before I even do that, Matt, let me just say this about anybody in leadership that's that's watching this right now. Whatever your organization is, uh, if you're not engaged in your community, in the city, the the neighborhood, the community where you are before crisis, when crisis happens, you won't have a seat at the table to be involved because so many people right now in the midst is going, man, how can I help? How can I help? But the problem is so many organizations have been so organizational, organizationally centric. They've just been focused on themselves and they've not looked to serve outside of themselves that right now they find themselves on the outside looking in and have no seat at the table. And it's not just true of businesses. It's, there are some churches that are so church centric that they've forgotten that they're supposed to be serving outside themselves. And when crisis comes, you don't have a seat at the table if you're not already engaged. And so it's one of the things that I love about our church and hope is we're so engaged in the city in arenas like foster care and fighting human trafficking and judicial system uh, restructuring and, and a lot of things like that, that, man, when this thing happened, we have a seat at the table to be involved. And so you, you do have to lead, though, in these moments of crisis. And what I shared on our podcast was just a little acrostic, simple. Uh, just using those those six letters, S-I-M-P-L-E, to kind of help people remember what it looks like to simply lead in the midst of crisis. And I'm going to give you the six. Here they are. Number one is just seek God. And just to at hope, one of our values is God dependence. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but through him, we can do all things. And so for us, it begins by just seeking God. I don't need to come up with a plan. He has one and I can turn to him. So seek God. Number two is the I, input from others. Um, we need to get input from others. Too many times we all think we know what needs to be done. And, in the, and, and this is true all the time, but it's even more true in crisis. My perspective is always limited and my input is never enough. I can't see everything and I don't know everything. I need to get input from others, whether like in this situation, that's doctors, government officials, city council members, business leaders, getting input from people around us so that we can be prepared to make the best decisions that we need to make. Number three, make a plan. So seek God, input from others, make a plan. Uh, this is leadership. You need to get in a room with your team and make a plan. Now, if you don't know who the team is, when I say get in the room with your team and make a plan, you're already behind the game in leadership. You should know who those people are that are your team players, those main players that you need to get in the room to make a plan. So you make a plan. Then number four, you prioritize, delegate, and communicate clearly. Once you've sought God, you've gotten input, you've made a plan, now it's time to, to let people know what they need to know. And you need to do that. You need to communicate clearly, but you need to prioritize what's getting communicated. And then you need to delegate. You need to give to others what needs to be done. You can't do everything in moments of crisis. You need to be ready to, to delegate some responsibility. Number five is you lead confidently. If you've really walked through the first four things, you've sought the Lord, you've gotten input from others, you've made a plan with your team, you've communicated it, you've delegated, you've prioritized then you can lead with confidence. In moments of crisis, people need to see leadership that is done 
confidently. And they're looking for confidence. They're looking for somebody that they can follow. It's been tragic to me to watch, uh, particularly in the state where we live, some of our leadership has just not been confident. It, it's been um, it's been timid. It's been waiting for others to make decisions first. It's been slow in communication. Um, and we have to do better than that. I think one mistake our governor made in particular this week is when he announced on um, Good Morning America the plan for Nevada before he told Nevada. Yeah. And that's an example of not communicating clearly. And I, I love our governor. I pray for our governor. But that's an example of not communicating clearly in moments of crisis and one that I think if he had to do over again, he would do differently. Then number six is to evaluate the plan. In crisis, things are changing usually rapidly. Uh, Matt, you asked earlier, I've talked about sports. One of the things I've done to get my sports fix is I've been watching The Last Dance on ESPN. And, and it's, it's unbelievable. But Phil Jackson on that show said something this week. He said, change is the only constant in life. Meaning the only thing that's not changing is the reality of change. And in moments of crisis, change is rapid. If you've been walking through this coronavirus thing in leadership, man, it's changed. Sometimes hour by hour, the information changes. So you have to constantly evaluate the plan and adjust it accordingly based on new information. So seek God, input from others, make a plan, prioritize, delegate, communicate clearly, lead confidently, and then evaluate the plan. Good stuff, man. Thank you for sharing that. And again, go back and watch the full podcast, everybody. And there's a lot more he unpacks. Um, ton of value in that episode specifically, but all the, all the episodes, go back and listen to them. Uh, you'll listen to them two or three times each. Uh, Vance, you're an author. You just wrote a book. <laughs> man. So um, Unburdened just released. Congratulations again. Um, honored to feel like I have a small part of that story just walking through life with you for the last, you know, 16, 17 years. Um, a great book. So after 30 years in ministry, what uh, what compelled you to, to I want to say finally write a book, but <laughs> yeah. And, and off of that, just share real quick. What's the main idea behind the book as well? Yeah, yeah I will. And, and to really kind of address what you just said after 30 years, why? Because I've had a lot of people say you need to write a book, need to write a book, need to write a book. But honestly, Matt, I didn't write a lot for a long time out of conviction. Um, I think there are too many people in my particular industry, if you will, uh, who are writing too early. They're writing theory. They want to get a book out. They want to get on a speaking tour. Um, and they're not writing proven principles that have been proven over time. Uh, and so I wanted to wait until I had a deep conviction that it was time to do this. And so after 30 years in ministry and particularly 20 years in leading in ministry in Las Vegas, I felt a deep conviction that I had some content that if I didn't get it down in print, it would not be available for the next generation. Some of the books that have most impacted my life are books written by people who aren't alive today. And if they hadn't have written it down, I wouldn't have access to that information right now. Yeah. And so um, I, I wrote it out of conviction, but it was really born out of two things. Number one, my personal journey uh, for the first decade of my Christian life. Um, I tried hard to be a good Christian and always felt like I never measured up. I would see everybody else think they had it all together, but there was just something in me that was a disconnect. I, I would 
I would work hard, try hard, commit, 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 and never felt like I could be the Christian that I wanted to be. I would even read verses in the Bible that made no sense to me. Like when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I never understood those words, rest, easy, and light. As a matter of fact, if you'd asked me to pick three words that were, were a reflection of my expression of Christianity, it wouldn't have been rest, easy, and light. It would have been work hard and heavy because that's what Christianity felt like to me. And it wasn't until I came to a breaking point in my life uh, about a decade or about um, 20 years ago now that um, I, I, I realized the truth that Jesus did not bring me into relationship with himself so that I could live for him. He brought me into relationship with himself so that he could live through me. And that's really the power of the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, but he rose again from the dead so that his life could be lived through us. And so that's really, it was that personal journey. And then the journey of walking for 20 years in Las Vegas and discipling people in these truths and seeing literally thousands of people's lives be changed and set free by the power of the gospel that led me to write the book. And really the essence of the book is simply that it's, it's stop living for Jesus. So Jesus can live through you. It's the, it's the, the, the truth that Christianity is not you and me living for Christ. It's, it's Christ living his life in and through us. And when you get that, that's rest, that's easy. And that's light. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more. I love the book. And again, it's unburdened. Uh, it's on Amazon. Is Amazon the best place to get the book? Vance. Yeah, Amazon's a great place to get the book. The, the only problem with Amazon right now is because of the coronavirus, they're really delayed. A lot of times books can be, they don't consider them essential. So it can be two to three weeks out in delivery. Uh, so you can get it there, but you can also get it anywhere books are sold. Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, and some of those can get it to you quicker. So well, I, I will disagree with the fact that that book is not essential. So I think <laughs> an exception. So off that book, I don't think it's a coincidence that it took you 30 years to write a book and it releases a few weeks before the coronavirus hits, you know, our nation specifically. So in light of that, you know, I think a lot of people right now are struggling with this stir craziness. They're struggling to rest. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just not in our nature to, to be still. So what would you say to that? You know, that the, the idea behind the book is is being, not doing, right? There's a, a yeah. huge portion of the book where you talk about abiding. Yeah. And that comes back to this principle of rest, which is yeah. so against what all of us are comfortable with right now. So what would you say to that? That just the timing of the book, the way it came out, I think that's no coincidence. So. Yeah, well, you know, I don't believe in you. You and I don't believe in coincidence. We believe in a sovereign God. So I do think um, that, that there is there's a plan to what you know he's doing. I think, Matt, when you think about the coronavirus in the book, um, you know, the, the, one of the lessons of the book is that, that, that following Jesus is all about relationships. Um, you mentioned the abiding relationship, which is our relationship with God. We're to abide in Christ personally and daily. But following Jesus is not just about a relationship with God. It's also about a relationship with God's family. And it's also about a relationship with people that don't know God at all so they can come to know him. And, and I think one of the messages of the book that could be really powerful for people right now is to reevaluate life in light of relationships. Am I giving priority to relationships? Because at the end of the day, life is all about relationships. One of the downsides of being 
a pastor is you wind up being with a lot of people when they die, when they take their last breath. I've been in the hospital room many, many, many times when I've seen people go home to be with the Lord or to, to leave this life. And Matt, and all the times I've seen that, I've never had one person, never had one person say, man, I wish I could have had a newer car huh. or I wish I could have worked 20 more hours this week, or I wish I could have made more money, or I wish I could have had a bigger house. Never one time has that ever been addressed. In those closing moments of people's lives, they always talk about relationships. It's always about either I wish I had spent more time with the Lord, or I, man, I'm so thankful for my relationship with Jesus, or it's man, I wish I'd have given more time to my family. I wish I'd have invested more time in my kids or I'm thankful to have my family in the room here with me because this is what life, at the end of life, when people have that moment to evaluate, it's all about relationships. And that's what the Bible teaches us. And so I think the book provides an opportunity for people to really evaluate their life, to lay that paradigm down on their life. Am I giving, is my life really all about relationships? Because that's the life Jesus lived. And Jesus modeled for us. Now, Jesus was infinitely more than a model, but he modeled for us what it looked like to live the perfect human life. And Jesus lived his life in fellowship with his father, in fellowship and relationship with his disciples, and in an engaging relationship with people that didn't know God at all. And that's what our life is supposed to look like. And that's really the message that we can lay on our lives in the midst of this season is evaluating where we are in our relationships. That's good, man. The, uh, the coach I work with every week, uh, Coach Mike Shum, he's probably watching right now. Mike, what's up? But um, he says something to me that really hit home. You hear people say that on your deathbed, you don't wish you would have done this or that. You just wish you would have spent more time with people you love. But he said it in a way he said, you're going to wish you spent more uninterrupted, 100 percent focused time with yeah. the people you love, because that's a huge difference than just time, which is what I'm struggling with personally, consistently. And that's going to lead to something I want to share is you've said a few things over the years that just, man, have just resonated with me and, and still are in my heart and on my mind consistently. Right on the other side of my screen is a big blown up canvas with pictures of my wife and my three kids. Uh, and it says in the middle, no, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that just, man, if you were on stage with your dad years ago in a conversation, just kind of a, a, an interview back and forth. Uh, it was a really uh, vulnerable, authentic type setting. But just can you expand on that more in light of what you just shared? Uh, Mike just gave us a thumbs up. He is listening here. But um, but no other success can compensate for failure in the home. That work-life balance is a core value to, to my team and what we do. It's my greatest personal ambition right now is to get to that balance. So what can you expand on that some more? Yeah, and, and to be totally fair, uh, my wife is where I first heard that quote. Uh, my wife actually read it somewhere and she put it up in our home. She had it up in our home. And so it was on one of these chalkboards that she writes these messages on and uh, she just had it in her home. And I saw it over and over and over again, you know, this message, um, no other, you know, success can compensate for failure in the home. And the bottom line is what I've realized is I'm, I'm a pastor, so I, I lead churches. There can be other churches. There can be other ministries. There can be other cities, but there's only one family. I get one shot at this and I've got this opportunity um, to invest in this relationship. And it's the primary calling on my life is first to 
obviously Christ, but then to my wife as a husband and then to my children and my grandchildren as a father and a grandfather to raise up a next generation. Um, and in, 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 in my personal worldview and my conviction is it's my relationship with Jesus that makes my relationship with my wife what it should be. But it's my relationship with my wife that makes my relationship with my children what it should be. My children and grandchildren are most healthy when they're able to see the relationship that exists between my wife and I rooted in Christ, healthy, vibrant, and alive. And then my relationships with people outside my family are built on the credibility of the relationships I have inside my family. Because it's those in my family that know me best. They see me the closest. And that gives me relational credibility as I extend beyond my family and relationships. So I kind of see it a little bit like a pyramid where all the relationships in my life really are built upon my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, and everything else is on that platform. You remove that, the rest of it for me and my worldview comes crumbling down. So it's it, it's it's primary in its calling, but it's also primary um, in, in, in just it being the foundation for everything else in my life. It's the way I believe God made the world. God created the world and he built it on relationships. He started it with Adam and Eve in a garden. He built it around family. Family is the core institution in life. Think about it this way. Before there was government, there was family. Before there was education, there was family. Before there was uh, even the church, there was family. Family is the basic institution. It's the core uh, DNA of, of human civilization. So goes the family. So goes the rest of the world. And so I, I just think that statement um, is, is imperative. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. There's a go back to Vance's leadership podcast. I, I don't know if it was episode three, four, five, six, somewhere in there. You did one on schedule. Uh, and the principle you unpack there in detail is the major difference between what's included in my day versus what is my day ordered around. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me home, hit home with me as far as, you know, there's some things that I definitely make sure my day's ordered around, but there's some things that are critical that my day has just been trying to include versus ordered around. It's a major difference. So go back and listen to that. Uh, so I'm going to kind of give you some quick questions here. And then I have one final question. I'll have you kind of close with this for, but one thing that you've said too that that really resonated with me was the time that leaders stop growing, they forfeit the right to lead. So you as a leader personally, what what are you learning about yourself right now? Um, well, I, I said it earlier, in the midst of the shutdown kind of of life as we know it, um, I've just learned again that I'd let a few things get out of balance. And it's, you know, I think most leaders have to relearn some of the same lessons over and over again because uh, we can kind of begin to allow things to fill in the cracks in our life. And so um, the, the thing with schedule and, and, and travel and overcommitment is one of those things that I have to always relearn. And so that, that's been something in this season that, that I've been really focused on is just taking a hard look again at the schedule because it's given us that opportunity to reboot, to shut down and start over, to kind of open things back up with a little more balance. 
Got it. And in leadership, constant growing, who do you follow? So I follow you. Like I listen to you. I follow a handful of people that inspire me and challenge me and encourage me. But who do you follow? Uh, great question, Matt. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a reader. And so I believe one of the things that you've heard me say, and I, you quoted it a little bit a minute ago, but leaders are learners and we, we should always be learning. And so I'm a reader. I, I, I have it on our team at our church. If you are in a ministry level position and up um, on our staff team, the way we grade our staff, you have to read at least one book a month to even qualify for merit raise at the end of the year. So a lot of the people that I follow are people that I read. And unfortunately, some of those people are no longer alive. So to say that I follow them is a little strange. But um, but men like A.W. Tozer, Andrew Murray um, are, are two of the people that I, I read, you know, pretty extensively. Um, and then, you know, other pastors that I, I look to today across the country, there's some men in my life that, you know, I've, I've watched their example for years, um, men like Johnny Hunt and Ken Witten, uh, that have been a, a huge impact in my life personally, uh, are some of the, the people that I, I look to and that I read. Got it. Two or three books that you've read maybe this last year that you would uh, highly recommend that listeners check out. Yeah, uh, I just happen to have a couple laying right here that I'm reading right now. Uh, one is called uh, Max Lucado, Anxious for Nothing. Uh, great book um, that I'm uh, just about to finish with. And then another one right here that I'm in the middle of right now is really good called Soul Keeping Man, by that, John Ortberg. I read that one twice in a row and it kicked my butt both times. <laughs> it's a great book. Great book. Um, uh, the, the other one that I like in, in kinship, with you didn't like it as much, but Replenish by Lance Witt uh, for people in ministry. It's a great, great book. So uh, that's a couple of books that I'm also reading uh, right now, a book by Dallas Willard called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Uh, Dallas Willard was a USC professor of psychology. And so that's a great book as well. I got to pick that up because he was the inspiration for John Ortberg's Soul Keeping. Yep. And for John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, right? So, yep, he was. Now, his classic, if you're looking for Dallas Willard, uh, his classic is uh, called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, phenomenal book. And then he has another book that's my personal favorite called Hearing God. Uh, both of those are phenomenal. But yeah, he was the, he is the mentor for John Ortberg that led to soul keeping. And he's also the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry quote that's now the book by Kent Comey came from Dallas Willard. Got it. Good stuff. All right. Two more questions and a final thought. Uh, best sporting event you've ever been to? Ooh, man. Uh, it has to be uh, my first ever NHL playoff game with the Golden Knights when we beat the San Jose Sharks 7-0. to zero. I was at that game when we smoked them. And it was it was in the first year of the, the Knights, the 2017 year. Uh, we we just smoked them that game. And it was unbelievable. It was electric. I think all the playoff games I have been fortunate to go to have been amazing. But for me, it was the first ever home game. It was shortly after the October tragedy. That was mm. oh, it was electric. But uh, uh, first dinner date, you're going to take Christian when when life gets loosened up here and we can go back to restaurants. Mm, I'm either going to King's Fish House or Texas Day Brazil. Mm, which would she choose? She would probably choose King's Fish House. 
you're going to Kingsfish House. <laughs> That's where I'm probably going. That's it. And then the, I've already told Christy, when this thing opens back up, I'm going to a different restaurant every night for seven straight nights. I, I'm a restaurant guy. It's my thing. I love it. And I am literally dying to go to a restaurant. I'm always on the go too. Leslie's actually enjoying the fact that we're eating at home for once in our life because uh, yeah. we're always on the go. And then last thought, just to leave everybody with this, Vance, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's so much, you know, a wide range of emotions. There's frustrated people that were not back to work. There's scared people, anxious people. Some are actually enjoying this moment to be at home with their families. In a wide range of emotions and, and, and perspective on this whole thing, what's just one closing thought you would just share with, with everybody? Yeah, I'm going to give you two. Uh, the first one, I was going to read a scripture, Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So as a pastor, that's just a place that I run to is God's word in the midst of this. But then to just, just the audience in general, I think we need to, to remember normal will return. And things like this, people get all doomsday. And I hear people, man, are we ever going to be normal again? Are we ever going to be able to go to a sporting event again? Are we ever going to be able to go out without a mask on again? Listen, normal will return. And let me let me prove it to you. In the last century, we lived through the wor First World War. 40 million people died. The 1918 Spanish flu, almost 50 million people died. The 1920s Great Depression the 1940s Second World War, where 75 million people died, and the Cold War, where the entire world sat on brink of nuclear holocaust from the 1960s to the 1980s. And in every one of those moments, the people living in that time period said, man, it's never gonna get back to normal again. And yet eight weeks ago, before this started, all of us were going to sporting events. We were eating in restaurants. Having walked through all of that in the past century, life was as normal as it could possibly be. So normal will return. This is a season. It's an unusual circumstance. It's a very real crisis. I'm not saying it's not real. It's real. We need to pay attention to what's going on. But normal will return. Life will continue. Human civilization is uh, unbelievably gifted at survival. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the way God made us and we'll move on. So in summary, this too shall pass. This too <laughs> shall pass. Man, Vance, I'm grateful for you spending uh, the last 45 minutes with us and just sharing your insights on, on what you guys are walking through as an organization, uh, just your leadership perspective and all that, man. I value you as a friend, mentor, pastor, uh, love you, dude. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes and letting me share you with my my network here. Matt, I'm really honored to do it, man. I really appreciate you. I value your friendship. And uh, for those that are listening, I know you know this, but if you just, if all, the only way you know Matt Farnham is by listening to this podcast, Matt Farnham is the real deal. Uh, he's a man of integrity, one of the most uh, influential business leaders in our community. And I'm thankful to call him my friend and honored to do life with him. So, Matt, I'm honored to be with you today, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, dude. Appreciate that. And then how do we find you, Vance? People want to connect with you, follow you. Uh, I know Instagram and Twitter, you're pretty active on those platforms. Yep. Instagram and Twitter, both. It's just my name, at Vance Pittman, uh, with one T, at uh, Vance Pittman on Instagram and Twitter. And then uh, they can always contact me through our church website, hopechurchonline.com. 
and then, or through my personal website, just vancepittman.com. You can go there as well. And then a reminder, guys, check out his book, Unburdened. Uh, you can get it on Amazon uh, as well as the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. It's on iTunes. You can actually go to Hope Church Online and find a link to the, the uh, podcast there as well. So follow Vance, guys. Promise it will be worth the follow. So thanks, brother. I'm going to click off and minimize you, and I'll catch up with you later, man. See you, buddy. God bless. All right, guys. Hey, thanks again for checking this out again. This is a kind of a spinoff of Real Life at Level 10 series where we're having Level 10 conversations with just some extraordinary people in my life. I uh, hope you got some value and I was inspired or challenged a bit by what Vance shared. Um, so just uh, stay tuned. Subscribe to YouTube to our, our Real Life series uh, where we discuss insights of real estate leadership and personal growth. Uh, we also have a podcast you can find on iTunes, Google Play Store, uh, whatever you subscribe to. So thanks so much. Share this with anybody you think that could find value in it. And uh, we'll see you again soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot.